ask you please give us all tender hearts to the message tonight, God. I ask you please for the pastor to strengthen him and fill him with your spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 15. And of course, we are going through a series called Journey with Jesus. It's a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. And we are doing a comprehensive study of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight we find ourselves in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be uh, looking at the first 10 verses of this chapter. And of course, it's, it's Wednesday night. It's Bible study night. So uh, the sermon may feel very much like a Bible study. And I hope that's okay. Uh, there in, in Luke chapter 15, I want you to notice that the chapter is primarily made up of three different parables. And, and if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. Um, I'd like to just give you some thoughts just by way of introduction uh, about this chapter and about the parables in this chapter. In Luke 15 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Then drew near unto him, of course this is unto Jesus, all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto them, saying... Now, I want you to understand the context in which Jesus gives these three parables. The context is that the publicans and the sinners are coming to hear the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Pharisees and the scribes are murmuring about the fact that the publicans and the sinners are coming to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the context in which the Lord Jesus Christ gives uh, the three parables that are found in Luke chapter uh, 15. Now, I want you to notice, and, and you can jot these things down, there are three parables. The first one is found in verses 1 through 6. The second one is found in verses 7 through 10. And then the third one is found in verses 11 through 32. There is a theme to all three of these parables, and the theme is that of something being lost. If you notice there in verse number 4 of Luke 15 and verse 4, the Bible says, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? So in verses 1 through 6, we have the parable of the lost sheep. If you skip down to verse number 8, we're going to cover all of it, but just get, skip down to verse number 8 here for a minute. The Bible says, either, this is the next parable, either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. So in verses 7 through 10, we have the second parable, uh, which is the parable of the lost coin. And then in verses 11 through 32, we have a very famous parable, maybe the most famous parable in, in the entire Bible, uh, known as the parable of the prodigal son. But this parable was about a lost son. If you look at verse 32 of Luke 15, the Bible says, and it was meet that we should make merry, this is the father speaking in the parable, and be glad for this day thy brother was dead and is alive again, notice the words, and was lost and is found. So we've got three parables in this chapter, and they're all connected in this chapter by this theme of being lost. One is the lost sheep, the other is the lost coin, the other is the lost son. Now, tonight we're going to cover the first two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, and on Sunday morning we will cover the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, and we'll uh, spend an entire sermon just studying that uh, one parable. It's such a, a great parable. But I want you to understand that the, the, the chapter is divided into these three parables on the theme of being lost. Not only is the theme of the three parables being lost, but there is a focus on the parables, and the focus is, in my opinion, uh, on the Trinity or on the members of the Godhead. Now, uh, this is a chapter full of parables, and we've talked about the fact as we've gone through this journey with Jesus that a lot of these parables, of course, are up for interpretation. There are some parables where Jesus specifically tells us this represents this and that represents that. There are other parables where we're not necessarily told what represents the other. And the only way to really uh, take some conclusions is to allow uh, to compare spiritual things with spiritual. The best way to teach the Bible is to teach the Bible, allow the Bible to define itself. And, and, and I will just be, be honest with you with some of these parables. Uh, some of this is, uh, I, I'm going to teach it to you, and I'm going to teach it to you because I, I believe it, but it, you know, it may be 
a little bit of my opinion when it comes to the interpretation of it. And I always want to be honest with you. Uh, when, when the Bible is clear, I will tell you authoritatively that it's clear. At other times, we look at things and we say, well, here's the best way, the best thing that we can explain or learn from this. And some of these things will be a little bit of an interpretation because they are parables. Uh, but I, I want you to notice that, in my opinion, the reason that we have three parables that uh, have to do with this idea of, of something being lost is because each one of the parables uh, focuses on a different member of the Godhead. Of course, you've got the first parable in verses 1 through 6 of the lost sheep. And we know that Jesus is uh, the great shepherd. We'll talk about that here in a minute. And I believe that that first parable of the shepherd going out to find the, the, the leaving the 99 and going out to find the one sheep is a parable that focuses in on the second member of the Godhead, the Son of God, the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, when we get to the third parable in this chapter, very famous parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal son rebels against the father. And the father in that parable, of course, is a representation of our heavenly father. And then you've got that second parable, the second parable of the lost coin. And I believe that the parable of the lost coin has a focus on the Holy Spirit. And I will, when we get there, I'll explain that in, in more detail. But I want you to notice three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and three focuses, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Heavenly Father. Now, there are a couple of things I want you to understand about these, these, two par- these, these three parables, but the two we're going to cover tonight, because though they are connected in the sense that they all highlight a different member of the Godhead, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and they're all connected by their similar theme, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, there is a separation between two of the parables, the first two parables, and the third parable, and I, and I want you to notice that. Uh, and, and I want you to notice it because I think it will help you understand some things and, uh, and, and make sure you, you're, not, you're, you're rightly dividing uh, the Word of God. When you notice the first parable, it ends there in Luke 15, verses 6 and 7. I want you to notice the last part of verse uh, and when we're, we're going to dive into the parables here in a minute. I, I'm just giving you this kind of introductory material just so you can have it and have the right context. If you look at the last part of verse 6, in Luke 15 and verse 6, the Bible says this, For I have found my sheep which was lost. Then you have verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So the way that the first parable ends, it ends with with the finding of the sheep, I have found my sheep which was lost, and then the Bible tells us that there's joy. It says likewise, or in the same way that the individual in the parable had joy when he found that sheep, he says likewise, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repented. Now, I want you to notice that the end of the first parable is very similar to the end of the second parable. Notice there in Luke 15 and verse 9, notice the last part of verse 9, the Bible says, for I have found the peace which I had lost. That sounds very similar to, I have found my sheep which was lost in verse 6. And then notice verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over uh, one sinner that repented. So notice that the end of the first parable and the end of the second parable have very similar, almost identical endings. And though the third parable is also about someone being lost or something being lost that is found, it does not have that ending. And I believe there's a reason for that because God wanted to differentiate a difference. Though these parables are all connected, they each highlight one of the members of the Godhead, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and they each have to do with something being lost. I believe that God wanted to differentiate the fact that the first two parables, in my opinion, have to do with a teaching on salvation and soul winning, while the third parable has nothing to do with salvation. The parable of the prodigal son, which we will look at on Sunday morning, uh, has to do instead with a backslidden Christian getting right with God. And, and the reason that I, I, I want to emphasize that and differentiate that is because of the fact that a lot of false teaching has been brought out of the, the parable of the prodigal son, where you've got this parable of the prodigal son and people try to say that it's a teaching regarding salvation and they'll teach all these works, repent of your sins type stuff 
when the parable of the prodigal son has nothing to do with salvation, it has to do with a son who got backslidden and, and, and needed to come to the end of himself and get right with God. But let me just remind you something. When he left, he was already a son. He was already a son of the father. So though these parables are connected, there is a differentiating factor. And I believe that God highlights that by giving the first two parables similar endings. And of course, the first two parables are very short in comparison to the last parable, which is the parable of the prodigal son. So I just want to give you all that context and kind of material so you understand uh, what we're doing and what we're looking at. And like I said, on Sunday morning, we will deal with the parable of the prodigal son. We'll go through it thoroughly. And it's one of the uh, greatest. It's probably the most famous parable in the entire Bible. But tonight, we'll look at the first two parables of uh, the lost things. And we'll start, of course, with the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost sheep. And let's just begin with the characters of the parable. Before we dive into the parable, uh, the parables aren't very long themselves, so let's just look at, the, look at the characters of the parable. You're there in Luke. Flip over to John chapter 10, if you want. John chapter 10. I'm going to show you one verse to prove a point. We could look at a lot of verses to prove the same point. I'm not going to take the time to do that. Let's talk about the parable of the lost sheep, and let's talk about the characters of the parable. And there's really only two characters. You could make the argument there's three. There's, of course, the shepherd, there's, and then there's the sheep. There's the lost sheep, and then there's the, the 99 sheep that were not lost. The first character, the shepherd, is a picture or a, a representation of the Savior. In John chapter 10, let me just give you a proof text. You say, well, how do you know that the shepherd represents the Savior. Well, we don't know that 100% for sure in the sense that it's not like Jesus gives his parable and then, and then does what he does with some of the other parables, which is he says, now let me tell you what this parable means. The shepherd is me, the sheep are you. You know, he doesn't give that. But in other places, we see that Jesus equates himself or represents himself as a shepherd. Here's an example, John 10 and verse 11 some famous, uh, a famous statement made by the Lord Jesus Christ, John 10 and verse 11. The Bible says, I am, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And of course, in John, you have seven I am statements where Jesus makes these I am statements. I am the way. He says, I am the door. I am the bread of life. One of the statements he made was, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So here in John 10, Jesus declares himself the good shepherd. By the way, this is a, in my opinion, a claim to deity, since one of the most famous psalms in the entire Bible is Psalm 23, where the Bible says, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord Jehovah God, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then Jesus makes a statement of deity when he says, I am, which just the, the phrase I am is a statement of deity all by itself. Jehovah God said, I am that I am to Moses. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. So all of these are statements of deity. But of course, the shepherd is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep. I also want you to notice that the context in which Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd is in the context of salvation. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Let me give you another one real quickly. Go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, if you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then the book of Isaiah. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. So we have the shepherd who represents the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have the sheep who represent the sinners. Or that's, that's, that's us. That's you and me. Isaiah 53 if you're in Isaiah 53, and if you're familiar with Isaiah 53, you'll know that Isaiah 53 is a prophetic uh, passage of Scripture and regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is probably the most well-known uh, Old Testament prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53 and verse 3. We could look at the whole thing, but I'll, we'll just start in verse 3 just for sake of time. The Bible says, He, referring to Jesus is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The word esteem means to respect or admire. And the Bible says we esteemed him not. They, they did not respect him. 
did not admire him. We've seen that in the Gospel of Luke. Look at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now notice, up to this point, the prophecy has been about the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that he's done for us regarding salvation. But notice how we are described, the sinners for which he's doing this for. Verse 6, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the Bible tells us in Isaiah that we, the prophet Isaiah, referring to Jesus coming to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, refers to him coming for us who, like sheep, have gone astray. So this is why when we go to the parable of the lost sheep, we can uh, say with some confidence that, of course, the shepherd it represents the Lord Jesus Christ and the sheep represents us. The lost sheep represents the lost sinner. All right, go back to Luke 15 and let's look at the parable. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 4. We talked about the characters of the parable. The shepherd represents the Savior. The sheep represents us. Now let's quickly look at the lesson of the parable. And it's a very short parable and it has just one very uh, succinct uh, application, one lesson for this parable. Notice verse 4. Jesus says, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Now, quickly, just go to Luke chapter 19. You're there in Luke 15. Just flip over to Luke 19. And I want you to notice what the shepherd does. What is it that the shepherd does in this parable? He has a hundred sheep. He loses one. And he chooses to leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and he goes after that which is lost. So I want you to notice in this parable, what is it that the shepherd does? The shepherd, well, notice Luke 19, because remember, Jesus is the shepherd. Luke 19 and verse 10. What does Jesus do? For the Son of Man is come, notice the words, to seek and to save that which was lost. So the Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you've heard me say this so many times, but I'm just going to say it again because we're here and I can't help myself but to say it. It's always funny to me and I always chuckle when Christians try to use this terminology where they talk about how, you know, I found Jesus. And it's just funny to me because the Bible so emphasizes the fact that Jesus wasn't lost. You were lost. I was lost. We were lost. We, like sheep, had gone astray. No man uh, 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 is seeking after God, the Bible tells us. And in fact, the Bible says that Jesus left his throne, came down to this earth as the good shepherd to seek and to save that which was lost. So when you got saved, you didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. Jesus wasn't lost. You were lost. The shepherd is the one who goes to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to notice, we see what the shepherd does. What does he do? He goes to seek and to save. He goes after that which is lost until he hath find it. But I do want you to notice, just real quickly, go, go back to Luke 15. If you're there in Luke 19, just flip back to Luke 15. I want you to notice what it is that the sheep does. What does the sheep do in this process? Luke 15, 5. And when he hath found it, when who hath found it? The shepherd who went to go after that which is lost until he find it. Notice verse 5. And when he hath found it, when he, when he, the shepherd, have found it, the sheep, notice what he, the shepherd, does. He layeth it. Layeth what? Layeth the sheep on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Amen. So here's the question. What exactly did the sheep do in this entire parable, in this, in this entire process? And the answer is this, nothing. Amen. The sheep didn't do anything. You say, what did the sheep do? It got lost. All we like sheep have gone astray. The shepherd came, found the sheep. He laid, look, the sheep did not lay the shepherd on his shoulder and walk back and, you know, put his work in to get himself found. No, the shepherd picked up the sheep, laid on his shoulder. And you say, why are you making a big deal about this? Because salvation is not of works. Amen. 
Because there's nothing you and I do uh, to get ourselves saved. It is Jesus Christ. It is faith on Him alone. It is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's the finished work of the cross that He did on the cross. He was buried. He resurrected. You didn't do anything. Now make a big deal about it because people like to take this parable and try to say that you got to repent of your sins to be saved. You say, why is that? Well, look at verse 7. I say unto you, Jesus says in verse 5, he laid it on his shoulder rejoicing. Verse 6, he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7, I say unto you, now this is Jesus making the application, the parable's done. Verse 7, I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. And people will stop there and say, See, so you got to repent of your sins to be Just like the sheep that was lost and Jesus found the sheep, you've got to turn away from your sins and come to Jesus. And I ask the question, where in the story did the sheep turn, turn around and start going after the shepherd? The whole point of the story is that the, sh- the shepherd went after the sheep. Over one sinner that repenteth, more than 99 just persons which need no repentance. And people will say, see, they're right there. you got to repent of your sins to be saved. And I always ask the same question. When somebody tries to give me a pastor like this to show that you got to repent of your sins to be saved, I always ask the same question. I say, well, I see the word sinner. I see the word repenteth. I see the word just person. I see the word uh, uh, repentance. But where does it say you got to repent of your sins to be saved? It doesn't say that. You say, well, says so the sinner repented. But you're assuming he repented of his sin. Because the Bible also tells us that in order for salvation to happen, you, the word repent simply means to turn. And yet you have to turn from unbelief to belief to be saved. That's what the Bible says. You got to turn from believing in trusting in your works to trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only repentance required in salvation. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you got to stop smoking or you got to stop drinking or you got to stop, uh, you know, doing drugs in order to be saved. Now, look, I believe in all you. I, I think you ought to stop doing all those things, but none of those things will save you. Right. Salvation is He did it all. Amen. I put my trust in Him. And you say, well, I got to, I got you. you do, do I have to repent? If you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in Allah, if you're if you're believing in 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 atheism or in evolution, then yeah, you got to turn. If you've got false idols that you're putting your trust in, you've got to stop believing in those things and start believing and put your faith and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the repentance needed for salvation. But nowhere does it say here, the sheep turned around and started going after the shepherd and found the shepherd halfway. He layeth it on his shoulder. The shepherd did the work. He went to go after that which was lost. The shepherd did the work. So we see that the shepherd, he goes out to seek and to save. And the sheep, in the story, he does nothing. Now, of course, we understand that you must believe and place your faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, call upon him for salvation. But the emphasis is this, that it's not that the sheep found his way home. It's not that the sheep, you know, pulled out a map and figured out, oh, I, I, took, I took a left when I should have taken a right. Let me turn this thing around and, and repent of my sins and get back. The sheep didn't quit drinking. To find the shepherd. The sheep didn't, you know, get off drugs to find the shepherd. The sheep didn't quit fornicating to catch the sheep. The sheep didn't do anything. He was found. And the shepherd layeth it on his shoulder. You say, so what is the lesson? Well, the lesson is this. The lesson is plain, and it's this. It's the value of one soul. The fact that he, he says, Jesus says, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness. And, and, and the emphasis is this, that Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. But look, if you were the only sinner in this world, he would have came for you. The value of one soul, the value of one soul is the emphasis here, that Jesus would come to seek and to save you. And me. Now he came for all of us, but he would come just for you. He would leave the 99, the just persons who were already saved, and he would go to seek the one that was lost. So we have the parable of the lost sheep. And the lesson of the parable is just the value of one soul. The fact that the shepherd would go out to seek and to save, and he would bring the sheep back, lay it on his shoulders, and come back rejoicing. Now let's move on to the second parable. And the second parable is the parable of the lost coin. 
The parable of the lost coin is a little different in the sense that the environment changes. Now we go from a shepherd going out into the wilderness to look for a sheep, and now we enter into a home with a woman. Let's look at the characters real quickly. And this is the one, I'll just be honest with you, this is the one where I'm giving some interpretation here that maybe you may disagree with. I don't know, you, you probably, maybe you've never even thought about it. But I'll, I'll give you some Bible references to, to back up my interpretation. And if you disagree with me, you can talk to Brother Oliver after the service about it. And um, let's talk about the characters of the parable. The characters of the parable. The first character is the piece of silver. The piece of silver itself, notice there in Luke 15 and verse 8, either woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. The Bible says here that there is a woman who has a, a ten pieces of silver and she loses one piece. One piece of silver. Now, you say, what is it that this, this silver could represent? What is it that Jesus could be teaching us here? And like I said, I, I, I think it's clear that the first parable is about the Savior, the shepherd. And it's obviously clear that the third parable is about the father who lost the son. I believe this middle uh, parable, which is maybe a little more uh, uh, of a dark parable, has to do with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit searching. You say, what is it that the Holy Spirit is searching? I believe that the silver, this piece of silver, is a picture of the inward heart of men. And it is the Holy Spirit who searches the inward parts of men. I'll, I'll prove that to you. Let me just, let's run some verses. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Remember I told you tonight, feel more like a Bible study, which is good because it's Wednesday night. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. You're there in Luke. Go to John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. The parable of the lost coin is a little, a little less uh, obvious than the parable of, of the lost sheep. So we'll, we'll probably spend a little more time on it. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. We have this lost piece of silver, this lost coin. Now, when I think of it, and, and what made me think about this, when I think of a, of a piece of silver or a piece of coin, I think of treasure, right? If you think of like, like uh, uh, you know, taking a map to go find the, the buried treasure of pirates on some island somewhere, you're thinking you're going to open up a chest and the treasure is going to be full of what? Coins, gold coins, silver coins, whatever. Well, what's interesting is that this woman lost a silver piece of silver coin. She lost a piece of silver. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 says this. It says, but we, referring to us as believers, we have this treasure Notice what the Bible says, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So the Bible tells us that our bodies are earthen vessels. Of course, we are made of clay, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We were made from the, uh, from the, from the earth, from the dirt is that, that God made Adam. And of course, we're all descendants of Adam. Our bodies often throughout the Bible are referred to as earthen vessels, but here Paul tells us that though our outward man is an earthen vessel, inwardly there is a hidden treasure. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So we can make the argument that the ten pieces or the one piece is not the exterior of a man, but the inward, uh, the, the, the inward heart of a human being. Now go to Romans chapter 8 if you would. You're there in 2 Corinthians. Go backwards past 1 Corinthians into Romans. Romans chapter 8. Let me just prove this to you. It is the Holy Spirit. You know, whether or not you agree with me that the silver represents the inward heart of man. You have to agree with this because the Bible says this. It is the Spirit that searches the inward hearts of men. Romans 8 and verse 26. The Bible says this. Likewise, I'm reading verse 26 so you can get the context. Romans 8.26, likewise, here's the context, the Spirit, all right? The context is the Spirit, notice the capital S, Holy Spirit of God. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions 
uh, intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I, I love that verse. I'm not preaching on prayer right now, but we, we read it, so let me just... I love that verse because what that verse is pretty much saying is that, you know, we often do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but it is the Holy Spirit that takes our prayers up to God the Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who, in a practical sense, is making intercession between us and the Father. Of course, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and men. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, being God as well. And of course, we believe in the Trinity that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting to me about this verse, and I'm not preaching about this, I just, I just think it's interesting, is that here the Bible literally tells us that the Holy Spirit takes, you know, creative editing rights over our prayers. So we have, pray- and by the way, so do I here at Verity Baptist Church, just in case you didn't know that. You know, you say, what do you mean? Some of you put some crazy stuff on those prayer requests, okay? And, and, and I'm like the Holy Spirit of God. I'm like, yeah, we're not writing that. Just, you know, sometimes we like edit it, like, oh, make it say this. Sometimes just like, just make, the, just make it unknown. I, I don't know. Unknown. Just write unknown on there because I don't know what they're asking for. You know, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not. But the Holy Spirit does this where he takes this, like, creative editing right. So you get on your knees every day, and you say, Lord, you know, I need a Ferrari. And then the Holy Spirit's like, give him a Volkswagen Beetle, you know. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you pray for him, you know, I, I need a job with a million dollars. And the Holy Spirit's like, give him a raise, you know, $1.25. And, and the Holy Spirit says, because if we give him a $1.50, They'll get proud and arrogant and become backslidden. And then we'll be in, in the third parable of the prodigal son, you know, because that's what happens. People get proud and arrogant when God blesses them. That's a sermon for literally another day on Sunday. But here the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will change our prayers to suit his need. So I just think that's interesting. Likewise, the Spirit also helped with our infirmities. That's why people say, like, God didn't answer my prayer. You don't know that he might have answered your prayer. You might not know what that prayer was when it got up to God. The Holy Spirit is like, don't give him that. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we, as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Again, I don't even know why I got off on that. I'm just showing you the context of the Spirit. Here's what I wanted to show you, verse 27. And he, the Spirit, that searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So, the Bible is clear, and there's other passages we could look at, but the Bible tells us that it is God who searches the reins and the hearts of men, and specifically the Holy Spirit is the one, of course, the Holy Spirit is the omnipresence of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that is uh, omniscient. He's, he's, he's in me, and he's in you. He's in all of us if we're saved, and he is the one that searches the hearts of the Lord. So, I believe that this parable of the lost coin is a parable of the inward searching. Now, the last parable we saw was a parable of the outward searching, right? So Jesus physically came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the role that Jesus plays. But in this process of salvation, the Holy Spirit also plays a role in which he's searching the inward hearts of men. Go, 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 back, to, go back to Luke chapter 15. Let me, let me just say this, and I'll explain this, you know, and, and you can disagree with it if you'd like. I believe that the Holy Spirit is active, actively working in this world, not just in believers. We know he's working in the hearts of believers, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of unbelievers. Jesus said, Jesus said if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is actively working in the hearts of even unbelievers and doing what he can to prepare the hearts. In fact, every Saturday morning when we go out soul winning, whoever my wife and I are partnered with, uh, whoever it is that I'm I'm with, I'll I'll pray a prayer that goes along these lines. Lord, please send your Holy Spirit to prepare the hearts of the people that we'll be speaking to before we even get there. 
that your Holy Spirit begins to work in the hearts of individuals. And you know, I believe that the Holy Spirit is actively working in the hearts of individuals, seeking and looking and searching for those that are, uh, that are open to the truth, that are looking for the truth, that are searching for the truth. And we can spend the whole night, you know, giving proofs of this. I'm not going to do that tonight. Let me just mention a couple for you. Of course, you have the Macedonian call. Remember when Paul had to make a decision where he was going to go to preach the gospel? And the Bible tells us that he saw a vision in the night and he saw a man of Macedonia saying, come and help us, known as the great Macedonian call. But Paul said that it was the Holy Spirit who guided him there. He said the Holy Spirit did not suffer him to go to other locations and led him in that direction. Why did the Holy Spirit lead him to Macedonia? Here's why. Because the Holy Spirit knew that there was a whole lot of people that were receptive to the gospel in Macedonia. You had the story of Cornelius, who was an unsaved man, and he's searching and he's praying and he's seeking for the truth. And does the Holy Spirit show up and speak in tongues and get him saved? No, but the Holy Spirit and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ orchestrate uh, Peter coming, the soul winner coming to preach the gospel. Why? To Cornelius. I believe that the Holy Spirit is actively working in the hearts of men. Now, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're going to see that here in a minute. If anybody's going to get saved, they're going to get saved through a soul winner preaching the gospel. But the Holy Spirit is working on the other end, drawing and calling, searching and seeking. Just like Jesus went out to seek and to save that which was lost, the Holy Spirit is seeking that which was lost. I was talking with my wife about this, and she, we're, we're talking about this, and, and, and she, she, she told me a story that kind of made me think of the, of the sermon. Of course, my wife was raised Catholic. She got saved when she was 17. But at certain points in her life, you know, looking back now, we can see and she can identify that even, even growing up in, in, in a home that was, nobody was saved, nobody was Christian, we can identify that, there was, that the Holy Spirit was working. And, and, and working in, in, in different ways. I mean, she was, we were talking about a story when... I, I, Forget what, how old she said she was, just seven or eight years old or nine or something like that. And she's uh, cleaning up something at her grandparents' house and uh, sees a, a magazine, a Reader's Digest. And it, she, she's looking at it, and, 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 and the Reader's Digest said, you are going to hell. Like, that was the title of the article. And, of course, it was meant to be kind of shocking and get your attention. And I don't know if she read the article, but that little phrase stuck in her head. I don't want to go to hell. You know, and as, and as a little girl would lay in her bed and think about eternity and where people go when they die and heaven and hell and how can, uh, how can uh, I know that I'm on uh, my way to, to heaven and I don't want to go to hell. And I'm just here to tell you that I, I honestly believe that sometimes, you know, you just knock on the door and it just seems like, man, that person is just ready. They were just ready to receive the gospel, ready to hear it. And I believe the Holy Spirit has been working in that heart. Many of you are here tonight and you got saved because you clicked on some video. You watched some documentary. You were searching for, you didn't even know what you were looking for. You were just searching for something. You knew that the truth was out there. And the Holy Spirit used that to draw you. Used that to bring you to Himself. And of course, introduced you through a soul winner to the Lord Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we see here in Luke 15 that the woman, having ten pieces of silver, she loses one piece. She lost a treasure. The Bible says that we, are a tre- we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The Bible tells us the Spirit searcheth the heart to knoweth God is, is searching the reins of men. The Holy Spirit is the one that is working on the inside but I want you to notice also from this parable, Luke 15, 8, notice we, we see the coin and we could see that that represents maybe the inward heart of a man. But I want you to notice there's another character in this parable and it is a woman. Notice verse 8, either what woman? It's interesting because in this parable we have a woman who is looking for this lost coin, this lost piece of silver. Go to Ephesians real quickly. Ephesians 5. I'm not sure I, if, if I ask. I, I don't think I asked you to keep your place in 2 Corinthians. I meant to ask you to keep your place in 2 Corinthians. But if you kept your place in 2 Corinthians, after 2 Corinthians, you have Galatians and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Of course, you have Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 25. 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he, this is Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it, referring to the church. I just want you to notice that here we have a relationship between husbands and wives. What's a wife? In 2022, we have to make this clear. It's a woman. (laughs) Husbands and wives are the picture here. And Jesus is pictured as the husband, and the church, the local New Testament church, is pictured as the wife, or as a woman. Notice verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, that he might sanctify and cleanse what? The church, with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it, that he might present what? The local church to himself, notice, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So here we have the local church being represented as a wife. Throughout other scriptures, we, have, we find bodies of believers being represented as the bride of Christ, represented as a female or as a woman. And here in Luke 15, we have a woman that is searching for the hidden treasure, the pieces of silver, because she's lost one piece. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is a woman. What I am saying this, that the woman represents the local New Testament church, and it is the Holy Spirit that uses the local church to seek and to save that which was lost. It is the woman who is searching for the piece of silver. Look at verse 8 again. How does this woman... So what does the woman represent? The local church, the bride, the wife. What does the silver piece represent? The heart of man, the the hidden treasure. What does the woman, the local church, use to find and to search and to seek for the lost coin? Look at verse Luke 15 and verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, notice what it says, doth not light a candle. Doth not light a candle. Now, I'm not going to have you turn here just for sake of time, but let me just read a verse so you say, what could the light, uh, the candle represent? Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. What is it? How, how is it that the Holy Spirit searches for uh, the lost coin? He enables the local church, the assembly. The Bible is clear. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? How are they sent? Through the local church. What does the local church do? We take the word of God, which is the lamp, which is the light, and we use the light. Doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. We find that we have the coin. It is representation of the inward heart of man. It is the Holy Spirit who searches the inward hearts of men. We have the woman which may picture the local New Testament church. It is the Holy Spirit that uses the local New Testament church to seek and to save. We, find, we see the light. It is uh, the Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit who uses uh, the Word of God for us to seek those which are lost. And then notice verse 8. Again, just one last thing. We see the sweeping. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, does not light a candle... And sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. Notice she's sweeping the house. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that judgment must begin first in the, at the house of God. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that if you want to be a fruitful Christian, he's got to purge you. He's got to clean you up. See, here's the truth. You're you're never going to be the soul winner and we're never going to be the soul winning church that God has called us to be if we're living in sin, if we're living uh, in rebellion against God. Hey, God wants to use pure vessels. You say, what do we got to do for our church to be the type of church that goes out and finds the lost coin? Hey, we got to sweep the house. We got to clean up. We got to take care of business. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. We got to make sure that this place is clean. Obviously, we're not perfect and we don't believe in sinless perfection, but we got to make sure that we are purged vessels ready for the use of the Master. And when we sweep the house and when we turn the light on and when we go out into the community, the Holy Spirit enables us to seek and to save. 
Notice the lesson of the parable. Verse 8. Either what woman, representing the Holy Spirit's use of the local New Testament church, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, representing the inward heart of a man, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, does not light a candle, representing the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And sweep the house. Judgment must begin first at the house of God. Notice what, notice what the, the woman, the local church does. And seek diligently till she find it. He said, what's the lesson? The lesson is this. The local New Testament church must seek diligently. You say, how, how does salvation happen? Here's how it happens. The Lord Jesus Christ goes out, the shepherd goes out to seek and to save that which was lost in connection with and at the same time that the local church, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, goes out to seek diligently till she find it. We are co-laborers together with God. You understand that, look, and don't, don't take this the wrong way, and I don't mean this in a blasphemous way, but Jesus cannot get people saved without us. And we cannot get people saved without Him. Both are required, the shepherd and the woman, the local New Testament church, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, who's cleaned up and purged herself, has the Word of God, the light of the Word of God, and is ready to go and seek till she diligently find it. The parables are about salvation. They're about soul winning. They're about how the lost get found. Now, let me just quickly end tonight. Like I said, Sunday morning, we'll deal with the prodigal son. Prodigal son is part of this triad of parables because it's about a son being lost. But it's different in the sense that it's not about salvation. You'll notice that there's a stark difference with the prodigal son in the sense that in the first two parables, the shepherd goes out to look for the sheep. The woman is seeking diligently. She's sweeping the house, searching and seeking diligently for the lost coin. In the third parable, the father does not go out. The father waits for the son to come back. And we'll talk about that next week or on Sunday. But let me just quickly conclude with, with the, the, the context and the point of the parable. I've given you the application, but I, I want you to really understand the point. The applications are clear. The value of one soul, the fact that we co-labor together with God, seek diligently. But notice the context and the point, the reason that Jesus gave the parable. We, we saw it already, but I want to remind you of it. We saw it at the beginning of the sermon, Luke 15 and verse 1. What was the context of the parable? The context of the parable is that the Pharisees and scribes, remember them? Were murmuring that the publicans and the sinners were getting saved that the publicans and the sinners were getting found. Luke 15, 2. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Jesus was seeking and saving the publicans and the sinners. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured. The word murmur means to grumble or complain, saying, This man receiveth and eateth with them. This guy is receiving sinners. That's the context in which he gives the three parables. Here's the point of the parable. Look, look at verse 9. And when she, remember this was the, the woman searching in the house? When she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Notice the point of the first parable, verse 5. And when he hath found it, he laid it on his shoulder. Notice the word, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. You say, what was the context? The context was that the Pharisees and the scribes were not rejoicing that the publicans and the sinners were coming to Christ, but they were murmuring about it. They were complaining about it. And Jesus is teaching. Here's what Jesus is saying. Do you know that? And Jesus is saying this to them, and I'm saying this to you. Do you know that in heaven there's a party every time somebody gets saved? 
Likewise, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Likewise, joy shall be in heaven. When somebody gets saved, there's joy in heaven. Now, Jesus is making, just, just, just to, to, to give you all the point, Jesus is making a, 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 very, a, a very peculiar application, and it is this. He says, She calleth her friends and her neighbors together, and they rejoice with her. He calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. And what he's telling the Pharisees and scribes is, you're not my friends. Because if you were my friends, you'd be rejoicing. The fact that you're murmuring, he said, you know, when, when the shepherd finds the sheep, his friends rejoice. He says, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. They're my friends. You are not my friend. But here's the application for us, and it is this, that we should never get over. We should never get over the amazing miracle of salvation. We should always rejoice when someone gets saved. Amen. We should never get over the fact, hey, hey, I was a sinner, lost in my sin. Jesus came to this earth, and he would have came just for me. And he found me. You say, how was that done? Through the ministry of a local church. Through a local church sending missionaries to preach the gospel and soul winners and evangelists to preach the gospel and the gospel came to our family and we got saved. Hey, we ought to rejoice over that and, and then let's continue to rejoice when other people get saved. Amen. This is the kind of thing that will make you show up for soul winning on a Saturday morning. You'll rejoice that people are being saved. Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which was lost. Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Let's bow our heads in our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these two parables. Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand them. They're connected for a reason. To make the same point, the same illustration that we need to be reminded of often that soul winning efforts are a collaboration between the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, and the local soul-winning church working together. We are His ambassadors in Christ's stead, preaching the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how the lost get found. Lord, I pray you'd help us not to forget that. Help us to learn it. Lord, help us to rejoice. No matter how bad our day is, we can always rejoice that we're saved, that we have a home in heaven, we love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of